You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. A Christian isn't a person who is seeking forgiveness or who is hoping to be forgiven. He or she is someone who is certain about the forgiveness that God has made available to him in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not someone who is uncertain or even has to pray for it or tries to merit it. Christians are people who know that they are forgiven. How easy it is to begin listening to doubts and questions that Satan whispers in your ear. Doubts about your salvation, about whether or not you're worthy to be a child of God. The list goes on and on. The Bible says that because of Jesus' perfect, finished work on the cross, you can be saved from eternity in hell, and you are worthy to be a child of God. Today, Pastor Mike will encourage you to have confidence that your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, Children, Young Men, Fathers. All right, so we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, and this is where we left off last time. And this evening's message, the title is Children, Young Men, and Fathers. John has been instructing us here in this epistle, and one of the themes, it seems like it's sort of developed now into a a theme, is this. John wants us to know that there are certain things that all of us as Christians should know. So John gets back into that same kind of uh, exhortation. Certain truths, certain facts that will assist us in keeping God's commandments. It will assist us in loving the brethren. It will also assist us in hating the world. So with that said, let me draw your attention now to our text. Let's go ahead and read 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I write to you, little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. It's sort of interesting here. 
Notice here, as he's presenting these facts, all of what is a part of our text, he is referring to, and notice, it seems as if he's chosen to divide all Christians into these three categories, which serves as the title of our message this evening. And if you think about it, it's absolutely correct. There are different stages in our Christian experience. He refers to one group as little children, another group as young men, and then lastly, the last group, he refers to them as fathers. So it's as if he is saying, as Christians, we go through different stages of experience and growth. And as we find ourselves in these stages, it is the utmost importance that we realize certain things. And so the certain things that we're going to talk about assist us in whatever stage you happen to be in at the present time. Whether you're a new believer, or you've been growing and going on and maturing, or you're a, sort of like a seasoned Christian. And that would be the father reference that he is referring to here. So the first of which is, and this has to relate to the little children, specifically relates to the little children. So this would be new believers or someone who's recently given their lives to Christ. So this is the first thing that those little children need to know. And if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our first point. Our sins have been forgiven. Let's go back to verse 12. We are told exactly that. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, this is very important for particularly a new believer to know this. We as Christians, especially young Christians, need to know that our sins are forgiven. We come into this new relationship that we have with the Lord, and the enemy, who is the devil, would come and whisper in our ears, listen, your sins aren't forgiven. I mean, look at who you are and what you've done, and there's no possible way that you can have fellowship with a holy God. Placing that doubt in a young believer's heart and in their mind. A Christian isn't a person who is seeking forgiveness or who is hoping to be forgiven. He or she is someone who is certain about the forgiveness that God has made available to him in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not someone who is uncertain or who even has to pray for it or tries to merit it. Christians are people who know that they are forgiven. And again, this is so vital, it's so important, because the enemy, when he comes, he'll attack us in this way. The Bible tells us that we're not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. And this is one of the things that he brings to us, doubting, questioning whether or not we're saved, questioning or not whether our sins have been forgiven. Now notice the Christian certainty and assurance of the forgiveness of sins is based upon his knowledge of the way in which his sins are forgiven. Go back to verse 12, and it says there again, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So the idea here is that our sins have been forgiven through the person of Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful announcement, because it's all about Jesus. And isn't that great? Aren't you glad? It's not all about us. It's not all about our performance. It's not all about what we've done or what we can do you know, to merit the forgiveness of God. But it's rather on the basis of what Christ 
did for us. So all of Christian doctrine is centered in him, that is in Christ. Jesus is everything. He is the basis of our certainty and assurance. So don't ever doubt your salvation. Don't ever doubt whether or not your sins have been forgiven. It's not necessary. We are forgiven simply because of his perfect, finished, full work on our behalf, dying in our place upon the cross. At least, in part, that's what Jesus was referring to in the last moments of his life before he dismissed the spirit when he was hanging on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. God's plan of redemption has been completed through Jesus dying in our place upon the cross. And so knowing our sins are forgiven is absolutely essential to the Christian life and going forward. To go on and press on and to go on to fall into that next category class of Christian. It's a major obstacle for some people, really. And some people doubting it say, ah, you know, this Christianity thing works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And then they slip out the back door. So it's so important that we know that we know that our sins have been forgiven. And this is exactly what John wants these young children, or the way that he puts it, little children, to know. Christians know their sins are forgiven, not because they bank loosely and vaguely upon the love of God, still less because they rest upon the hope of their own good lives and merits or their own good works. John puts it simply like this in verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so there you have it. What makes me know my sins are forgiven? Jesus is standing before the Father as my representative, as my advocate. It is for his sake that I am forgiven. My sin has been dealt with in him. The prophet Isaiah, speaking of Christ's ministry in the form of a prophecy, in Isaiah 53 in verse 6, the Bible tells us that God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So our sins have been taken and laid upon Jesus by God the Father himself. He has borne the punishment for my sins. So these are the grounds of my certainty and assurance. And folks, this is not presumption on our part. Not to believe is not a display of humility. Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, how can I really be accepted? And I'm being very humble about this. To not believe is not a display of humility or lowliness or saintliness. Someone says, oh, I'm so unworthy. I don't feel good enough. And the truth of the matter is you're not worthy. And there are going to be times when you don't feel good enough. But, you know, really, it's a lack of faith. Again, we're not putting our faith in our consistency or our, our performance, but rather on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Knowing our sins are forgiven is absolutely essential to the Christian life and going forward. How can you make an appeal to people for the future when they're unsure about the past? How could I stand before you as the pastor of this church and encourage you to go forward, to go on to maturity, if you weren't sure of this essential doctrine that your sins are forgiven, right? 
it would just shut you down. I mean, how could we go forward? So this was something that obviously was very important to John to speak about and to impart to us. And this brings us to our second point. The second thing that every Christian should know is the way in which sin can be overcome. And as it relates to this point, John now is writing to young men. Notice there in verse 13. That's the next stage, young men or young women. Those who have gone on to maturity. Those who are aware of the fact, and this is a part of a process. I think at one time or another, every one of us comes to the place where we become aware of the fact that the party is over and the battle has begun. Jesus very lovingly and patiently sort of brings us along. We go through the conversion experience and everything seems to just fall into place and everything seems to be working out. And it's sort of like the way that a parent cares for their kid. But then there comes a stage in their development where they have to deal with the problems that are a part of their life's experience. And so I think that every one of us in our Christian experience comes to that point of realizing that the party is over. And then we realize that there is a cost in our discipleship, in our following Jesus. And so we become conscious of that. And we become very much aware of the fact that the party, the easy road, is over and there's a battle that needs to be won. Because notice in verse 13, in the latter part, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So it's suggesting that there was a battle that was won there. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, there is an immediate victory of which one becomes conscious of the moment he or she believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We become aware of a victory over Satan in our lives. There seems to be a deliverance that takes place that we become conscious of, aware of, immediately following our conversion experience. We feel as if a burden has been lifted. We feel as if we no longer have to be slaves to our sin or our lustful desires. The sin nature has been broken. And the moment we believe in Jesus, we have an immediate consciousness that we are somehow or other no longer under the dominion of sin. Now, that should be an experience that every one of us goes through. We realize that Satan is a defeated enemy, and we are fools if we listen to him any longer. We don't have to be under the dominion of Satan any longer. So how did these young men get so strong? That's the question. How did they overcome the wicked one? Well, notice in verse 14, the reference to the word of God abides in you. And therein lies the answer. It always can be traced directly right back to the study and the understanding of and the application of God's word in our lives. That's exactly how these young men were able to overcome the wicked one. And again, it speaks volumes to us about the importance of just studying the word of God. John says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. 
They weren't strong in and of themselves, don't misunderstand, or that they have developed some strange mystical strength. That's not what John is referring to here. Rather, it must be that they know they have been made strong. That's the thing that John is trying to impress upon them here. So upon our conversion experience, there is a kind of, maybe this will help you to understand, but there's sort of an infusion of new life. All of a sudden, we become aware of a new power working in us. Something has happened to us. What is the point of telling us to keep his commandments? We were encouraged by John to keep the commandments of God, to love the brethren, to hate the world. I mean, what would be the point of telling us these things unless we have been given the strength enough to obey? I mean, it would be absolutely senseless. Notice in verse 14, he says, The word of God abides in you. The word of God is the word which brings that new life to us. The word of God comes into us and gives us life. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I don't even know if we're completely and fully aware of the power of the word working in the life of a believer the transforming power of the study of the Word of God. It literally has that effect upon each and every believer. So we're born again by the Word of God. James chapter 1, here's another cross-reference for you. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted Word. So how do we lay aside the filthiness, the overflow of wickedness? How? By receiving with meekness, we have that kind of an attitude. We're open to receive of the Lord through the instruction of the Word of God, the implanted Word. God is implanting the Word in us that has that transforming effect upon us, which is able to save your soul. So two pretty significant cross-references. So James there talks about the life being engrafted into us by the Word. Let me give you one last cross-reference in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is used to fight against the enemy. We need to arm ourselves with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. You see, it is the Word of God that makes us strong to fight sin in our lives. How? Well, it shows me the horrible nature of sin. As we study the Word and we're dealing with certain texts of Scripture and the results of the different characters in the Bible who gave themselves over to sin and the consequences that fell upon them, God is appealing to us through those texts of Scripture, through the Word. It shows me the horrible nature of sin. As the Word abides upon me, I am made to see sin in all of its ugliness, selfishness, perversion. And the result of it is I begin to hate it. I begin to abhor it. It teaches us about the destiny of those who are the slaves of sin. It shows them they are going to hell 
and destruction outside the life of God for all of eternity. Man, when you get that, something changes within us. It's sort of like a switch is turned on, and we're a lot more careful as it relates to sin and the opportunities and occasions and temptations to sin. It shows us the power of Christ as we study the word and how Jesus defeated the enemy already and how Jesus comes into us and makes us strong and enables us to become conquerors against all who assail us. Oh, the wonderful word of God. If we feel the demands of the Christian life are too high and impossible, it is nothing but sure ignorance. It's a lack of faith that holds us back. And it's just as simple as that. So that's what he had to say to these young men. That's what they needed to know. And then the third and final point, and this would have related to the fathers, and again, the fathers would be a reference to those seasoned believers who are sort of like approaching the ends of their life. And this is very important that this exhortation is known by them, that they hold on to this, that they remember these things as maybe they're facing the end of their lives. So the third and final point, as John addresses the category of fathers, notice in verse 13, he says, we must all have a knowledge of the Father and of the Son. So those seasoned Christians, the fathers, who have come to the ends of their lives, the consummation, really, of all their Christian experience, the ultimate reward. I've had several opportunities of speaking to and ministering to people at the ends of their lives where they've been sick or I've been on hospital calls where people are not expected to continue to live, but they're believers, and there's an assurance that they possess. And they're holding on to the fact because they know God. And they know that this is not all that there is, that is this life. And there's an understanding that the best is yet to come. And they're even looking forward to that experience. And so they triumph over death, you know, in that moment. Why? Because they have knowledge of the Father and of the Son. This is that blessed knowledge that all Christians must have. That is the knowledge of God. Not some great force or power. Not someone who is opposed to us, who hates us, who's imposing these commandments upon us, but rather God as our Father who loves us with an everlasting love, who knows everything about us, who provides for all of our needs. Now, this isn't something that is only important to those seasoned Christians who are at the ends of their lives, but also to all of us. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. 
Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart, not be troubled.